You're not a good God. That's what we're saying. God, this isn't okay. You are doing me wrong, God. And that is always sinful, isn't it? We're saying, God, we know better what we deserve or what you want for our lives than you do. And that we're pretending to be God, which in the last time we all checked, you know you're not, right? For a lot of people, struggling is prime soil for complaining. When things get hard or you feel unhappy, it's easy to slip into grumbling. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that though you may not like what's going on, it's not good to complain. When you complain, you're telling God that he's not good and that you know better than he does. Not only is this attitude sinful, but it will cause you to miss out on the good that he wants to do in your life. Here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 17 as he continues his message, Aaron's Budding Staff. We spend a lot of time thinking how someone else is supposed to fill their ministry, and we spend very little time thinking about how we should fulfill ours. It's very easy to say, oh, well, that person's supposed to do this, and this person is like, well, what about you? What are you doing with the ministry God has given you? I had this recently. I was in a mood and someone was giving me a hard time about something. I'm like, well, I have been here at Crossroads for 20 years. I said, great. So what ministry do you serve in? (laughs) They looked at me. Excuse me? I'm like, yeah, so, you know, so I'm totally great to talk about what, what I'm doing and how I'm trying to do it, but so what do you do? Where do you serve? Oh, well, I don't serve. I'm like, you've been here for 20 years, you don't serve? Ouch is right, you know? I said, hey, man. I'm like, how about this? You worry about doing anything, and then we can talk about what I'm doing or not doing. It's a good reminder, though, because how easy is it to be like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that or that person's doing that. What, what, what am I doing? I'm sitting judging everybody else. God never called us to that. You know what I mean? And so it's a great reminder. You need to be faithful, and I need to be faithful with what God has given us. And we don't need to worry as much about what God has given somebody else. Now, as we move into verse 41, this gets really crazy because look at what happens. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting. Suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses, verse 43, and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Verse 46. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun amongst the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 
14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. Now, you would think that after what had just gone on with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, that the people would be like, okay, so listen, we need to get it together. But they immediately start complaining and they start blaming Moses and Aaron for killing all these people. Now, did Moses and Aaron have anything to do with it, really? No. But listen, oftentimes when people are grumpy, all logic goes out the window. All logic goes out the window. And so they are grumbling and complaining and disaster is upon them because, again, they're forgetting what's going on. They're really murmuring and complaining against God. And you notice that, again, and we've talked about this a lot in this section since at the end of the book of Exodus, that one of the most challenging parts of our Bible is the fact that God deals in violence. It's one of those things where you, you get confronted with it when you read. And it's not just in the Old Testament. I mean, the most, God is his most violent at the cross of Jesus. And if you read the book of Revelation, you see God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And so the almighty God still brokers in violence, but his violence has its root not in capricious anger, but in righteous indignation. Now, I realize that that's, I just like opened up a huge theological can of worms, but I need to say, hey, look, we have to deal with the fact that when God wants to bring righteous judgment, pain is inflicted on humanity. And that is part of the nature of God. And that is a part of the nature of God that we don't like, but we probably should. Because it shows God's justice. We don't ever celebrate God's justice all that much. We celebrate God's love. We celebrate God's joy. We celebrate God's forgiveness. But we don't celebrate God's justice and his judgment. We don't celebrate God judging evil as evil with the same passion that we celebrate God's forgiveness and his grace. But God is infinitely glorious in the totality of who he is. And so we could say very quickly, I can't believe that God would be so, uh, it's like he's just flying off the handle. But you got to realize they, they've been at this for a good long time. And we have to remember that the wages of sin is what? Death. Can you imagine if God killed you every time you complained? <laughs> Most of us wouldn't make it through potty training. You know? So praise God, although we are deserving of, of that type of judgment for one complaint, because the wage of one sin, it's worthy of death. All of us are under a death sentence, given the nature of our hearts. So the fact that God doesn't do that is sheer grace in and of itself. It says in the Bible that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all would come to the repentance. So it makes you really realize that every moment is truly a gift. We're all on borrowed time because of God's patience with us. When was the last time you praised God for today that God hasn't rightfully wiped you off the face of the earth? But God's judgment would actually dictate that. 
Now, you know what I like about studying the book of Numbers as well, my friends? You would, we wouldn't talk about this in a lot. You go to a lot of churches, they'll never talk to you about this. They don't, like, let's pretend like this isn't in there. What I want to say is we need to learn how to worship and praise God because this is who he is. We need to learn how to take these things that are seemingly complicated and we don't really understand and say, God, show us your praiseworthiness in the totality of who you are. I don't want a pasteurized version of you based on what I think would be a good God. Now, notice the way this plague is staved off is by Aaron taking a censer of incense, standing in the midst of the people, and that offering being accepted by the Lord. You see the juxtaposition between Korah and all those rebels, and now Aaron, God's anointed and chosen high priest. God accepts that offering, and that plague is staved off, although we do find out that many people lost their lives here. Many people. The number was, in verse 49, 14,700. So almost 15,000 people died in this plague. But it's an amazing thing to see, and I wanted to mention this before we move on to chapter 17, that you have Aaron, who's an old man, running. Because you make the point, in biblical times, patriarchs didn't run. This was long before, like, old dudes decided they wanted to do Iron Man races. This culture was much more like it's a regal thing, like that, that this is who we are and we don't have to go fast. And that's why when you see the high priest literally running to make intercession, it was an out-of-character move for somebody of his status within that culture. But the passion of God would dictate that he moved in that way. And in the same way, you have the, the return of the prodigal son in the New Testament where the dad literally runs to his son completely out of character. That would have been a shocking idea in that culture. Not as shocking today because um, we don't have those same kind of cultural mores, so to speak, on the way people are meant to act. So, but we see God accepting Aaron's offering of incense as opposed to the rebellion of Korah and those other guys which God rejected. Now, as you move into chapter 17, look at what happens. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to the father's house, 12 rods. Write each man's name on his rod and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's houses, 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. So it came to pass on the next day, verse 8, that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony 
to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. Thus Moses did just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Verse 12, so the children of Israel spoke to Moses saying, surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? So this section shows the final vindication in this section that God indeed had chosen Aaron to be the high priest. Aaron and Moses were the anointed, appointed leaders, not by themselves, not by the Pharaoh, but by the Lord. And this is the, if not everything we've seen before, now there's one final test. So what does it look like? The Lord says to Moses, tell the people, I want a rod from each of the father's house, according to their families. So you guys know Jacob had 12 sons, so there's 12 tribes. Aaron was part of the tribe of Levi. So all of the father's house, they brought their rod, which was their walking stick. Okay, now you guys all know that if you have a walking stick, it's a piece of wood, but it's not attached to any root structure, right? And the rod was not only a walking stick, it was also used for protection and all these other things. It was a great weapon. You'd be a samurai stick warrior with it if you needed it. And in that kind of a culture, you did need it. It was, you're out there. It wasn't like today where if you want to go see wild animals, they're in the zoo. And if you're walking on the street, you're not going to get eaten by a lion. But in that culture, there was the possibility of that. So you're happy for the extra, uh, the gear and stuff. So each person had a rod. And you can imagine that, you know, and some of you maybe received a walking stick from your grandfather, which was your grandfather's grandfather. And it's, it's like a thing. And so for the heads of each of the tribes, they were supposed to bring their rod to Moses, and they would put their name on it. So, so the rod of the tribe of Reuben, of uh, Levi, of Simeon, all the different ones, they wrote their names on it. They brought them to Moses, and Moses brought them into the tabernacle of meaning and left them before the Lord. And whichever rod budded, whichever rod put forth blossoms, that's the one that God chose. Now, you realize that if everybody brought their walking stick and said, okay, everyone, I said, listen, everyone bring your walking stick. We're going to see who God's hand on, and we're going to leave it here in the sanctuary, and tomorrow we're all going to come back, and one of the rods are going to be blossoms. You're all going to say, okay, so that's just really not possible, right? It's not attached to any roots, and it's just not how it works. That thing is dead. It's never going to blossom, right? That's the idea. But God wants to show, he wants to show, this is the person that I've chosen, This is my appointed priest. And so everybody did it. I'll notice in verse five as well. It shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. See, God tells Moses, I am tired of the complaints of my people. I want to be done with this. Now, If you've ever been around a chronic complainer, you understand what this feels like, right? Because you're like, okay, can we just be done with all the grumbling and complaining? And it's amazing. God loves us very much, but I think God also wants to be rid of our complaint. I think we spend too much time complaining. I think we don't spend nearly enough time thanking God for all the things he's given us. Like, if if your job is rough, and I, I know, listen, some of us have rough jobs, If your job is rough, praise God that you have a job. You know, 
Thank God for your job. Now, maybe God wants to get you into a new job. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes things are bad because God wants to reveal to us a heart problem. I call that an unholy dissatisfaction. When the reason I'm grumbling and complaining is because I got a heart problem. And as I'm like, Lord, I don't understand why I have this dissatisfaction. God's like, well, your heart's wrong. Your heart's in the wrong spot. So sometimes when we're grumbling, God wants to reveal to us that we have an issue in our heart. Other times we have a holy dissatisfaction where God allows us to feel dissatisfied with our circumstances so that we will change something and seek him about what comes next. But the key is, is that whatever the dissatisfaction is in your heart, you shouldn't complain about it. Instead, you should seek the Lord and say, God, what are you trying to do right now? So the complaining part Given the dissatisfaction is always sinful. Because really every time you're complaining, you're saying, God, you're not a good God. That's what we're saying. God, this isn't okay. You are doing me wrong, God. And that is always sinful, isn't it? We're saying, God, we know better what we deserve or what you want for our lives than you do. And that we're pretending to be God, which in the last time we all checked, you know you're not, right? I'm not, you're not, we're not. So we have to learn how to say, God, I feel dissatisfied and I want you to show me if it's a heart problem or if you want me to, if you want to change my circumstances. But God, keep me from grumbling and complaining. And you guys know that your Bible says do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, what does all mean? All. So that means everything. Don't do everything. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. So every time you go to grumble and complain, I want you to just cup your mouth. Stop that. Okay? And I'm going to give you guys faithful of the wounds of a friend. And we're brothers and sisters. You don't want to help people sin because you know what happens when someone starts complaining? Everyone starts complaining, right? Because complaining, like all sin, runs forth like a virus. So if someone's complaining in your direction, be like, I totally love you. Now stop complaining. And if they get mad, you say, well, go talk to Fusco. He told me to tell you that. And then I'll talk to them. I'll be like, the Bible says do all things without grumbling and complaining. Every time you go to complain, stop yourself and instead take a moment to thank God for whatever it is that you're struggling with. God, I can't believe I'm married to that person, but thank you that they, we got married and we, had a, we took a nice picture 38 years ago. You know, like there, there's always something to be grateful for. Lord, I, I realize I'm not, I'm not a dreamboat either, so thank you, Lord. You, you know, it's like stop complaining and instead turn it into an opportunity for thanksgiving, to thank God for the ability. Lord, thank you that I have a mouth that I can even speak. And forgive me, that junk's coming out. So God wants to rid himself of the complaints of his people. Now, look what happens in verse 6. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel. Each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader. According to their father's houses, 12 rods and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. So after this, the outcome is, of course, is that all the rods come on out, but Aaron's rod 
has completely budded. It's put forth blossoms, and ultimately there are ripe almonds on this rod. So this is a miraculous. Now, I wanted to call this message Aaron's Buds. But given that marijuana is legal here in Washington now, I figured I wasn't going to be able to get away with that without you guys thinking the wrong thing because I'm praying for all of you guys with your sense of humor. So, but, but Aaron's rod comes forth fully flowered. This is a total miracle. Naturally not normal, not something that was supposed to happen. It's like if you took an, an almond branch and you left it in your closet, not with any water, not in soil, and all of a sudden one day you come in and everything's blossomed and budded. This is... God's favor being showed on the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants. God is showing the people, look, it's Aaron. Everybody got it? Aaron is the one who I have chosen. That's what God is doing. Now, but you notice, what is the picture of those who God has chosen? The picture is what? Fruitfulness. That's good, isn't it? Jesus said in John 15, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And that's within the passage where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And unless you abide in me, you cannot bear any fruit. See, the mark of a person who God has chosen is fruitfulness. God wants our lives to be fruitful. And I think oftentimes we live in a culture where we're supposed to be successful. That's like a a cultural value of America. Be successful. But the Bible doesn't say be successful. And then in the church we say, well, don't worry about being successful. Be faithful. And faithful means you just keep doing it until you can't do it anymore, right? That's faith. You just keep on keeping on. But really the biblical model for life and ministry is fruitfulness. God wants to bear fruit. Now, don't get me wrong. I think fruitfulness involves faithfulness. But sometimes we can be faithful in things that God hasn't called us to. So we keep doing it, but God hasn't called us to it. And in the Bible, what's really amazing about that, you think about ministry and fruitfulness. Jonah, Jonah was very fruitful in ministry, but his heart was pretty jacked up, wasn't it? Jonah was all wrong. Jeremiah's ministry was not fruitful at all like Jonah's ministry. In a lot of people's estimation, Jeremiah's ministry would have been a failure. He had one convert his scribe. Nobody else listened to him. But his heart was right with the Lord. God wants to bear fruit in our lives. And God showed his favor on Aaron by letting his rod be fruitful. Jesus is Sometimes your version of success is quite different from God's. Today, Pastor Daniel reminded you that God asks you to be faithful to do what He's asked you to do. The Lord considers the state of your heart to be more important than the number of people who turn toward God or other more tangible outcomes. You learn that God wants you to be in right relationship with Him. He counts that as a success, even if you don't see other results. Hey everybody, I want to invite you to join me in reaching people with the message that Jesus is real. Would you pray about partnering with us in the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio? Your support in this way helps us to keep sharing God's word and helps us reach more and more people. Thank you for considering partnering. Find out more at jesusisrealradio.com. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family. 
But I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues working through the book of Numbers. After the attack on the God-given leadership of Moses and Aaron, God reconfirmed them as his chosen leaders. You'll see that God revisited the roles and responsibilities of priests so that everyone was on the same page. Pastor Daniel will help you understand how these reminders relate to you as a modern-day believer. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Wilderness. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.